I'm not saying it all has to be deep and soul searching. I'm just saying that that understanding of where all the different jigsaw pieces of your life fit together and where there's mm. a missing piece. Mm. That's it. That's important. Hello and welcome to Art Juice. This is honest, generous and humorous conversations that will feed your creative soul and get you thinking with me, Alice Sheridan. And me, Louise Fletcher. And I think we're going to have quite an interesting conversation today. Not directly art-based, but we've had two things that we've watched that prompted both of us uh, to start a kind of rampant messaging session (laughs) to each other, which sounds a bit dodgy, in a very positive way. And we thought, let's talk about these things on the podcast um but before we get into that we're going to do a brief summary of our week and also you started uh you let me know something about a podcast that had hit the front pages of the guardian what was it about that that surprised you so it was a podcast cannot remember what it was called never heard of it two ladies um and it was on the guardian which for those outside the country is a big newspaper here and i read it online it was on their home webpage big article about them with a big headline and it said this podcast is taking the world by storm or whatever the article that was the gist of the article and it said four years on was it four years on yeah something like four that four years on and no it was more than four years it was 10 years on and 10 million downloads or something point being the amount of downloads was less than ours yes and it I wasn't thought, 10 million downloads it was something like 10 years four million, in. 10 years in 4 million downloads yeah. whatever it was I thought hang on we That's- we have we've got three point something million downloads and we have been going less time than these people and it wasn't like I'm not saying oh you know what idiots they are I don't mean that I just mean I was like, wow, I think, and I've said this to you before, I think our podcast is even a lot more successful than we realize. There's another one I listened to called um, Go Love Yourself with two bigger ladies, and it's about being overweight and still being happy. And Mm -hmm. I I just love it because I love them. They're just funny, and they're two British women. But they've mentioned they won an award and went all dressed up to this big award ceremony. They've been supported by Apple. They're on Apple's homepage. When you go on iTunes, they get less downloads than we do. When they said how many downloads they had, I was like, wow. Oh, hang on a sec. And we're just the- not very good at promoting it or entering no. awards. And in fact, at the beginning of the year, there is an award that we said we should enter this. And I think the deadline's probably coming up and neither of us have done anything done about anything it. about it because, to, and, and I thought it was interesting that we keep doing it, yeah. but that the success of it isn't, isn't a driver for us or something we've even understood or paid You want to be on the to. front page of The Guardian? No, I absolutely do not. Exactly. <laughs> I do not. Um, but there are other things that I work on where I very much measure the success and and care about whether they're successful. And I just found yeah. it interesting that this is kind of just something we do without worrying about that. And is that actually why it's successful? Possibly. I think it's also interesting. This, I mean, we talk about, you know, algorithms. In terms of algorithm, as you say, our podcast must be doing pretty well. Like, whoever apple podcasts whatever it must be doing pretty well and yet nobody's ever 
contacted, reached out, done the thing. So, you know, it's... In fact, the only thing we had was one of our listeners recommended to Jackson's. Jackson's art shop did a list of top art podcasts and didn't include us. And some of our listeners wrote to them and one of them forwarded the response they got, which was, oh, yeah, I listened to part of that. But they just seemed to be chatting and it didn't seem to be art related. So I didn't bother with the rest of it. They did. They basically rejected us. Yeah. <laughs> Even though of all the podcasts they listed, we probably had more listeners than any of them. Shame. Apart from Talk Art, probably. Talk Jackson's Art was fair. Jackson's was probably the only people that we'd ever considered for doing anything sponsorship wise because we both use them. So yeah. how was the end yeah. of that then? That was the end of that. <laughs> But nobody's approached us for an award. Nobody said, do you want to be in The Guardian? Nobody's <laughs> offered us a sponsorship deal. Nobody's noticed us. And yet here we are quietly racking up. Our, and, and nobody's asked to acquire us because all these podcast companies, we have had a couple of those, actually. We've had people say, "I'd like, we'd like to produce your podcast. So the couple that approached, maybe they just approached one of us, but one didn't want us to pay they wanted to take us over basically but we weren't mm. going to get paid anything they okay were so we're going to talk about a... ownership and things <laughs> later on but I just I thought that was a interesting you know that, that you'd picked up on that and also just wanted to use it as a chance to say we might not be getting noticed on the front pages of the Guardian but we know or we hope that you know, you guys are really enjoying this and we really appreciate you being here. We appreciate when you share. I still get messages from people saying, I've just discovered it. I've just listened to the third one. I got, you know, it's so lovely to listen to. That's the thing that makes the difference. So we just appreciate you being here and still tuning in and listening to our random ramblings. Um, And we do love it when we hear from you. So thank you very much. Yes, thank you. So this week, what have you been up to? I'm going to start because I haven't really been doing very much at all. I've had my birthday and I'm being like the queen and I'm making a week of it. That's the end Happy of Happy birthday. Happy <laughs> birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> had a very nice time. What about you? Um, I have been, it's been frenetic week. I've had my community manager, Tracy, staying with me. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk about what we did when we get to what's inspired. But we've had a really good time. But that's meant um, not a lot of paintings got done because I've been entertaining. And I've been sorting out. I'm going after this. I'm going over to pick up the lease for my new space. Mm-hmm. So I can review it. And I'm also going to walk around the space with them and tell them what I want them to change and what I want them to do in there before I move in so that's very exciting are you officially now a boss babe I am officially a boss babe (laughs) I went I must tell you this is so funny this is Tracy being bold versus me being me we got we I took her to the to the place where the building is and I said look that's my building and the door was open I said that's where I'm going to be she goes well let's just go in and I said well I don't I don't know if anyone's in there she goes straight up the stairs she comes back down oh the cleaners are in and they said it's okay if we look around so there was just everyone the previous people have moved out so off we went and we spent about 20 minutes walking around making a plan of what I could go today and ask to change but I never would have gone up those stairs with that open door um but I'm glad she did so yeah very exciting lots to plan lots to think about very exciting it is really exciting I'm very excited so be afraid uh, that was it really this is a new era 
Yes. Watch out, I everybody. Like, I feel like <laughs> we're going in completely opposite directions at the moment. Feels like you're yeah. sort of empire building, and I'm like just chilling. The hell I think out. that's what's much slower, and I've got. I think some plans. we've always been like that, mm. though, haven't we? Mm. I've always been blocked when you've been mm. busily making paintings. We've all mm. we're a little bit like a married couple in that way. Mm. We we balance each other out. Yeah. Thankfully, we're not a married couple. I don't think that would go well. I don't think that would work very well. Right. <laughs> Let's get on to what we were going to talk about then. I have to admit that I still haven't watched your Lewis Capaldi documentary mm-hmm. that you recommended a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sunday afternoon, it was raining. We have had rubbish weather this month in the UK. Truly um, rubbish. I had some scones left over. It was Sunday afternoon. I thought I'm going to sit on the sofa with my scones and I'm gonna watch the Wham documentary and I really annoyed my 21 year old who was sitting in the back room with two of his friends and had a really annoying mum who kept hopping over to them saying do you want to come and see the first time Wham was on top of the pops and they're like <laughs> who's Wham why did <laughs> and why, why did their hair look this? like that <laughs> And, and and very politely kind of saying, no, thank you, we're fine. Um, but I did message you and say, you know, have you watched this? Because there is some, you know, there started to be quite a few triggers in that. There were things in that documentary that I thought, this is, it's really interesting to, to see behind the scenes and see the reality of how something grows and the relationships that were in there. Um, anyway, so I started writing a list of points of things that I thought we could take and we could learn from this documentary. And then you said to me, I said, oh, I'm just watching a documentary about Sinead O'Connor, yeah, which was on um, Sky. And that kind of sums up the age difference between us, because I was 20. I was a student when Wham were Wham. So I was like, Wham. Yeah, and they split division. I I'm into goths. I'm not into Wham, but you're younger, so Wham was your Bay City. But they were still before my time because they split in 1986 when I was 13. So although I knew their music, it wasn't when it was coming out live and fresh. It was like, oh, you weren't into music. No, by the time I was 50, you know, we were listening to it, but but they'd they'd been and gone by then. Yeah, because they were a real teeny band. They were so I thought they might have been right your era for like teen, but Sinead was my when I moved to America. So nineteen eighty nine, her first album came out, and because I worked in a record store, all the I always knew the music that was coming out before anybody else knew about it, and her album was so groundbreaking and so unlike anything else, and I was in love with it. And so we were both watching such different documentaries and then we watched each other's and um, I think we took different things from them, but I enjoyed Mm. watching the one one because it was such a contrast. And, Mm. but also some, there were some similarities that I took from it, you know, and I did find I was approaching it, I think differently in the sense that I couldn't help seeing the end of George Michael and Sinead O'Connor as I was watching it, mm. knowing that they both died basically of unhappiness. I couldn't have, that was over the top of it for me. So I kept drawing conclusions about what was happening. Yeah. Knowing their ending. 
but anyway, we've got you've got lots of points. I had a few points from that, and I just thought it was interesting because despite the fact that they are polar opposites as artists, in every way, really, yeah, they ended up in the same place, deeply dissatisfied with life, deeply with art not giving them what they wanted it to. And I was taking from it the lesson of, okay, so it's not that that succeeds. It's not that that makes you happy. Right. And it's not that. So which, it, you know, what is it in the middle there that could make you happy? Yeah, I didn't know so much about Sinead O'Connor. I mean, the the song that I think everybody knows her for is um, Nothing Compares to You, which I've just checked was 1990. I know that because it was, it was the song that boyfriends at the time put on a mixtape for me. So it was sixth form. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I can date that one. Like straight yeah, off. that was her second movie. album. It was her second album when she became huge with that. Was it? Yeah, yeah, because it was number one forever. Yeah, and that was written by Prince. Mm-hmm. So there was there's an interesting thing in the I think the writing and the collaboration and then what they wanted to say. So how are we going to do this then in terms of what will make uh, a useful podcast? I noticed in your notes that you've just written Sinead had better hair. So we could start with that. (laughs) That was my big lesson. I seem to remember that one despite the fact that I, as a little teenage snob, was looking down on them, you know, because when you're 19, you can't possibly like anything that's not cool. I do seem to remember thinking they had good hair. (laughs) And and looking back, I'm like, oh, my God. I think at one point George Michael says um, everybody had so much hair on one video that you can't see anyone's faces. (laughs) It was the last Christmas video. This is like so much big hair. hair. George Michael had waves of curly hair with a giant mullet. And Sinead had the shaved head because... She said the record company wanted her to be, be she is be, she was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the record company said, you just need to dress up a bit more, put some makeup on. I don't remember if she said this in the documentary, but I knew this mm-hmm. previously. Put on a miniskirt, you know, really show off your figure. And she was like, right. And so she went home and shaved all her hair off. And then apparently was saying to her roommate, oh, don't come in. I think I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> But yeah. she hadn't because her hair and the way she looked with no hair was so stunning. It's really interesting that, isn't it? Because in a way it could, that doing something like that to be different, to go against the grain, to be noticed, to, you know, we're so conscious of things like that now that it can almost be like, if you set out to do it deliberately, perceived as a bit of a gimmick. Mm-hmm. Whereas she did it from such a core belief. And that's what I got from her, how mm. strong she was in mm. terms of standing up for what she believed in, saying outright, there was a brilliant, but I can't remember what the question was. There was a brilliant bit in an in an interview where I think the interviewer was talking about, it was talking about laws in Northern Ireland and it was talking about 15 year olds being pregnant and, and then, you know, he said to her at one point, so, you know, there's a lot that's in common with your story here, isn't there? And she just said, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. She's like, I was in a, t- a totally different. She said, I was much older. I was 20. I had enough money. I was settled. I was in a relationship. There is nothing at all that's similar. And I just thought, wow, you know, yeah. just the presence. I mean, she was a little bit abrupt. Yeah. She was a bit abrasive at times. But yeah. that kind of 
this is what I'm going to do. And the record company wanted her to have an abortion. They yes. said, we've spent all this money on this album. You can't have a baby. I mean, that's extraordinary. And some of the men's attitudes, when you saw the male interviewers, particularly at the beginning, there was an Irish guy and he was interviewing her and he was like, what have you done to your hair, Sinead? If you were my mm. daughter, if you were mm. my daughter, I wouldn't let you out of the house. Mm. It's like, get lost. I mean, it was those times, but it's not that it long ago. That's 1989. He was speaking to a woman that way. Yeah. As if she were a child, as if she couldn't think for herself. That strength in her and what that what that was portrayed as, because I remember because I was a fan, she was just vilified. And it got worse and worse because she wouldn't do. And sometimes being quite honest, sometimes she was way overboard and sometimes she was nuts. Sometimes she was, she did things which were just plain stupid. Why are you doing that when you could approach this in a much better way and get a result? So I'm not making out she was a saint at all because none of us are. But she always did what she thought. And for a woman in Ireland at that time, even in England at that time, because mm. I remember being roughly the same age. Well, I'm a little slightly older than her. And I, I faced so much sexism when I was young. And for her to, I was not strong like she was. I was not, I didn't mm. just go against everybody the way she did. And I think maybe some of her not so sensible decisions probably came from when you've had to push against stuff all your life that's wrong how do you know when sometimes you're actually not doing something that makes sense well she had a horrendous upbringing and relationship with yeah. her mother, didn't she Which yeah really sad to yeah. sad to watch just before we go on to some of the points that we think can be a little bit more takeaways just want to just reiterate where you can watch these things so the wham documentary i think is only on netflix mm-hmm. i think um and then there's there's another one on george michael on his singular career which i haven't watched yet the Sinead o'connor one is you watched it i think it's on, it on it's sky. on sky which i don't have and it's on um now tv in the uk which i don't have so i found in it in america Prime. oops sorry we were a little bit cut off there louise's car arrived early my facebook account has been suspended again uh <laughs> literally on the call so i uh, my dog's had a complete breakdown wow <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so back to what we were talking about, which neither of us can remember. Shall I go through my kind of points yes, that occurred to do. me on a more like specific thing? So the first thing was, and this is what I mentioned to you about, possible topic, crafting your work, refining, revisiting, improving. And I think we are all guilty of feeling like we have to put our best version out there we have to create things and they've got to reach a certain standard. What really struck me was uh, this was talking about the, um, the it was actually his first solo release as George Michael, but the song Careless Whisper, the, the first version of that was written on the top floor of a bus when they were teenagers. Then Wham started to make it big. Then it went over to a recording studio in the States with amazing producers who produced like Stevie Wonder songs. And they thought this was it. We've made it. This is going to be like the version of this song that's perfect. Came back, 
played it to Andrew Ridgely and they both looked at each other and went, no, that's not it. And then it was the later version where he really felt and interviewed loads of saxophonists and got the musician on it and released it. And that was the one. That was a song that was however many years in the making. But just this idea of refining, revisiting, improving, going back to something until it's right and not having to rush to get the first version of it out. Yes, it was. Um, what struck me about that was Jerry Wexler was the producer. He was really well known. The courage to say no, mm. that by this person who's way above us, that's like getting an exhibition opportunity cur curated by, I don't know, Grace and Perry and then saying, actually, I don't agree with the way you've arranged any of my pictures and I'm going to need to change it all. <laughs> and having the courage to do that and just scrap it I thought that was really brave and the other thing that struck me at that point in the documentary was that Andrew Ridgely had been written out of the song that he created yes and he was okay with it mm. because he had realized that his friend was more talented than him and at that, that was the point where he said that George Michael produced another version and he listened to it and thought, right, so I, he writes better songs than me. I can't sing. And now he's a better producer than I am. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing left for me. And what struck me was that he, as a friend, just was totally supportive through all mm -hmm. that didn't get jealous, didn't kick and scream, didn't say, I want to be part of this let his friend saw and if he had been their friendship was so close that if he had grabbed onto George Michael and said no I want to be involved he yeah. could have held him back for quite a long time and he didn't ever hold him back and I I don't know that there's a lesson for us in our art there except his complete lack of ego in that process really impressed me Here's, I'm jumping ahead then, here's what I took from the lesson from that, because what is often said or what was often said was Andrew Ridgely was the one hanging on the coattails of George Michael's talent. And what they both said in that was that actually nothing would have happened without Andrew's mm -hmm. energy, drive, obviously quite humorous support they had this incredible relationship but he was the one that was kind of pushing at the beginning stages he was the one that was like yeah let's go do the thing he had this confidence mm -hmm. George Michael was the one who was super shy didn't yeah. want to be the center of attention was completely surprised when like girls were like oh you're you're he was like me what no I'm the mm -hmm. kind of fat podgy one that nobody pays any attention to um and I think this whole idea around being being shy, which is something that we see a lot, and it, it goes back a little bit to what you're saying about Sinead O'Connor, that she obviously had born from a fire and born from a real reason. She had to be strong, like her mm -hmm. childhood. She had to be strong and fight. Mm. And I think so often this sense of what we see as our persona or things about being shy or no it feels pushy to do this or people don't really want to hear from me or they're not interested there is something in developing a little bit of a character 
and drawing on the energy of other people to do that. And I don't mean in a kind of lifeblood sucking way. I mean, use the energy, like think of friends around you who have a certain kind of energy or confidence. Work. I don't know if there's a way where you can work. I mean, we spoke about the beginning of this, about how you and I are often quite different in things. We worked out a way to sort of make that to sort mm-hmm. of make that work and I think you can do that quite consciously even when you don't naturally have a lot of the things that you feel are necessary and important yes you know yeah. working around being it's often it's often said isn't it being shy you know just almost like and I've said it you know early days I would like right okay if I'm going to do this put some lipstick on what does lipstick change nothing diddly squat apart from there was something about that that was like right I'm doing it I think one of the things that struck me with that with George Michael his lack of self-confidence yeah caused him to do the opposite to Sinead which was to be to live a lie for years Mm. because he he didn't feel he could be himself and again different times it was hard to be a woman Mm. in the music industry it was hard to be a gay man so that that was the but because she had that, however she got it, that confidence, and he didn't, my dog, however he got that, however she got that, he lacked that. And that made him very unhappy as he got more successful, more unhappy, and luckily was able to find a way later. Yeah. Can well, I think he also oh. he wasn't being recognized for what he he felt that he was only being recognized for and dismissed for for pop songs, making trivial pop songs. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't his musical roots. It wasn't his musical interest. Mm. It wasn't his desire. His desire was to be recognized as a writer and then as a, as a producer. And that bit where he got the Ivan Novello Award from Elton John. Mm. You know, that's he really got what that. he wanted to do, not be but dismissed that, as a team bopper, you know? Yeah, but what struck me about that, him and Sinead, and this was my big takeaway from them both was, he wanted that to be recognised, to be mm. people to say, you are a great musician. Yeah. And then when Elton John said, come on stage with me and sing with me, because I think you're a great, sing, a great musician, he went, well, that can't be, I don't belong here. And when he won the prize, yeah, but I don't believe that. And there was no amount of outside validation that could make up. He thought it could. He thought that recognition. And by the time he died, he did have recognition as a talented songwriter and and even an important figure in music. He had that. And yet he was drinking and doing drugs and just Mm. wasting his life away by the end because he was looking for that validation and they both were using their art. This is what I took from it for me. You can't use your art to bolster something inside you, which isn't there. And if you try, you will just be endlessly disappointed with what comes back. And so any kind of outside validation, because the documentary with George finished where right on a high, dad's Mm -hmm. proud of him. Mm-hmm. you know everything's working he's found his own way but we know that's not how the story ended yeah how do we as artists then what is it that success means it's not going to be prizes and praise from other people if you don't believe it 
because yeah. George Michael didn't believe it. And it's not going to be other people saying, yes, I hear your songs and I love you. People like me heard Sinead and we loved her and it wasn't enough because that's yeah. not who she wanted mum to love her and mum was dead. So that was never going to be solved. And I don't know what we take from that, except that we have to have some definition of success for us as artists, like we talked about last week, that brings us an internal sense of achievement and doesn't rely on other people. It makes me wonder how much, and I think that this is true to me, for me to a degree, how much of energies that we put into art, making art, hmm. I don't know how to say this is almost a displacement thing like we've spoken before about how it brings certain something or that you know there's something in your art that maybe you don't have in your life and that has definitely changed for me it's like okay I want expression or you know I want a bit of energy and now I'm wanting like a little bit of car you know it it is ever moving but I think this question and this is quite challenging of where do I look for validation <laughs> what is it that I want where am I where do I think I'm going to be getting it from and actually I think quite a lot of the time we're all looking in the wrong flipping place mm. you know it's not to say that it's not a worthwhile thing to do I think it's enormously worthwhile as part of your growth your understanding of yourself and I know that there are people listening who make all sorts of different art and it's not necessarily deep soul searching art and you know some of it is there's a you know a happy sense of production and I'm not saying it all has to be deep and soul searching I'm just saying that that understanding of where all the different jigsaw pieces of your life fit together and where there's mm. a missing piece mm. that's it that's important because they often say, I think it was a Diary of a CEO, that guy who does that podcast, he often yes. mentions Jimmy Carr, the comedian. And he yeah. mentions that Jimmy Carr said to him, if you want to know why a comedian is a comedian, ask them who, which parent they're trying to make laugh. Yeah. Because there'll be one parent that they're still trying to impress. And it made me think, is comedy and acting and singing and painting is it all just either displacement or please validate me please like me and would but but if we made everyone whole and complete and zen and happy would we not have any art then would no one bother because even if you're not making soul searching miserable art because George Michael wasn't he was making no. wake me up before you go go but he was still it doesn't matter what you're making. Are you making it so your friend will come around and say, wow, you're so talented or your spouse will hang it on the wall and you'll feel so proud or. Yeah. I don't think it goes away because I think it's part of the nature of being human. Like We're not designed to sit around as kind of lumps that aren't on, you know, on the lookout, on the challenge. We're designed to be doing and active and searching and busy. So it's not like that there's anything wrong in this and I think all of those creative things that you just mentioned other people do it through careers do they do it through being an accountant or a brilliant doctor or it doesn't have to be like a creative output but just the just this understanding of where all those different kind of pieces um slot in it's just just worth checking back in with from time to time mm. um 
Okay, next thing then, much more practical. What I love from the documentary, his mum's scrapbook. Mm-hmm. His mum kept this scrapbook of all their no, all their appearances, all their achievements. I can't remember how many there were, 26 odd by the end or something. Um, but this thing of keeping a record of what you do. Mm. Yes, that was, they were so lucky to have that because yeah. he can look back now and see every, all those newspaper articles would be long gone because nothing was online then. So they, they would have all disappeared and he can look back over all those scrapbooks and see that. And how do you actually keep a record? Do you keep a record? Um, I keep a, I mean, I keep a record photographically. I keep a mm-hmm. record through my annual review. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep a record through my annual planner journals and I've still got all of those going back. Um, I don't have, I don't make a beautiful scrapbook. Um, and I think one of the reasons it it's interesting because I think those things in a scrapbook, you know, they were events that was, um, a production there was an appearance on top of the pops or an article that came out and I think what often happens is in the in the records of our of our life and what we're doing it's often the small things that don't feel like events at the time like you wouldn't necessarily make a scrapbook page about it but they can be very small decisions that you've made that you look back on and say if I'd not done that mm-hmm. it wouldn't have turned things around in this way and that's why I'm quite happy with my scrappy annual planner things because that has the evidence of all the all the ideas all the dead ends tiny decisions notes you made when you were considering doing thing a versus thing b and looking back on those never fails to make me think huh I did things you know and we're not encouraged to do that so whether you do it as a visual scrap, but what about, what about you? I mean, you're fairly similar. Yeah, similar. Yeah. Photographs of work in progress. I'm not good at like formal archives, keeping them in Google drive, organized yeah. any of that. I lose track, but I have photographs and like you, my planner, which I have a planner where I was writing notes about art tribe and then I didn't do it for a year and it morphed into something else, but I've still got the notes that I wrote when I first thought of it. Yeah. Um, so I like that. And that's, I think, why I like the handwritten ones, because they're really scruffy, but I can go back and look. But I'm not good like his mum was at keeping a track of everything. But then we don't have, I don't have his achievements. So she she was writing things like number one again and traveled to and toured America to sell out crowds. Mine is more like made a painting today. <laughs> I've also got, I have got a physical shoebox, which has, you know, the flyers, the graphics, everything from a show that I've ever done, like the, the you know, the tickets, um, if people write to me with a nice card, all of that sort of stuff I keep. And I know you keep all your cards on your notice board too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I that like that. not hoarding. Keep... No, it's not hoarding. I keep those because it makes it reminds me when I'm having a bad day like today for example where things are not going smoothly it reminds me why we keep persevering to see those cards and things from people so I I like having them around um, for that reason it's like just a boost and I think when I move to my new space I'll be bringing those with me because it's a reminder of all the people that are out there that we can't see yeah but yes I don't think um 
I don't think record keeping is my strong point, but I, I did envy him those scrapbooks because I thought that was yeah. really cool. And it helped yeah. the documentary maker. It really did. <laughs> it really did. Yeah, so somehow keep a scrapbook. There was something else that I thought that was interesting, um, which was this idea of producing and writing and recording at the same time. There was a little part in the documentary where they went off to do another album and they hired a recording space in, I think it was the south of France, and they, it wasn't like they went with the songs all pre-written and then just recorded them. They were producing and writing. And this this kind of constant feedback loop of mm-hmm. writing them and recording and it all happening in the studio. And it was the process of it being in the studio, this idea of constructing in the process of creating. And there was just a lovely quote that I wrote down. It said, his songwriting became the vehicle through which he could draw out the kind of person he wanted to be. So there's two ideas in there. One is this idea of working on something constantly and just making sure you're bringing that feedback loop in and maybe thinking, what stage are you at in your creative or what phase are you in? Are you in the producing phase Are you writing, creating? Are you recording? Are you editing it? And just for me, there's always been this conscious thing about wanting to slip between those states as fluidly as I can, that I think is really helpful. And it was it was a little bit of a game changer for me when when I really felt actually I can. It is this moving your feet in and out of these different states fairly regularly that's what makes a difference rather than thinking there have to be defined edges to it yeah that's true you start it's hard to describe it to someone when they're in the beginning Mm. because you try and say well you just move between them it's kind of fluid but I remember when it was clunky I remember when I couldn't shift out from one to the other as easily um, one of the things that struck me on that producing she, in Sinead's documentary, she said um, that she liked her second album more because it was more her than the first album. The first album was more the record company um, and she felt she had less input into it. But interestingly, I think the first one's stronger than the second one the second one is the one with nothing compares to you and that is amazing and everything that's great and there are some great songs on the second one but the first one was a really cohesive artistic vision just it hit you right between the eyes because there was nothing like it and it made me think that's where outside how much outside input and inside how much how much is good when it's just driven by us and how much is good when there's someone else to to recognize mm-hmm. and shape and there's lots of disasters in music like the the careless whisper disaster where the person shaping it doesn't get it right but when you have the right person and and you just mesh together and you make something so much better than one person could have made and I'm thinking of when Rick Rubin produced John, Johnny Cash singing a Nine Inch Nails song called Hurt and that completely revived Johnny Cash's career from the grave to being you know having a hit record because he had the vision to see something that Johnny Cash could not see on his own and we don't get that as artists the way producers get record musicians get producers but there is something to that the outside feedback the outside help that because we don't get that 
I know some people actively seek it from critiques and from peer groups and things. And it can be, it can be really helpful. Well, I think it can be really important, but it's harder in visual art. Like where does that come in? Yeah. Where can you bring it in? Hmm. And it's often like when I did my exhibition last year, it was the gallery choosing which pieces to hang and where, and me not having a say in that. That was nice. That's actually. after the production element, though, isn't it? That's it was huge. after, but yeah. but they were. Yes, it is. But they could take some things and say, "No, we're not showing that. We're yeah. showing this one, and we're putting it with that one, even though you think." So, in a way, that's a bit like music producing. But yeah. generally, I don't have that. Generally, I'm putting it on my website myself, or or putting it in the room over my garage myself and showing it to people my way. And I did see the value when we did that exhibition and I walked in after they'd done it all. I saw a big value in that, uh, in them picking and choosing rather than me. So just something to think about from that, that I, that I took from it. You mentioned this thing also in your notes about the fact that um, success is a trap. And that is where I think goes back to what we were talking about last week but both those people were caught up in success as a trap in two different ways. Um, One who really wanted it, George Michael, and one who never wanted it, Sinead, both got caught up in this crazy success. And even though he wanted it, when he got it, it wasn't what he thought. And her being caught up in it, it just made her miserable because she was a woman and a target because she was a woman. So when we are, we talked about this last week, but when we're striving again for what we're striving for, is it really what we want? Be careful what you want, because is it what you want? Yeah. It's all a big old messy old mess, isn't it really? Yeah. I always struggle with that. I never had like George Michael had very clearly. I'm more in the Sinead camp of I'm just doing this because I want to do it if success came, it would certainly wouldn't be a manufactured thing that I'd come up with, you know, a way I'd, I wouldn't have had a goal and then gone for it because yeah, that isn't no how pre-definition. it's ever been for me. Yeah. yeah. He was very clear. He was like, I want number one hits. And that was, that was another interesting point. I've just remembered. He wanted number one hits and then he got three in a year. Oh yeah. And then he wanted a fourth. So he wrote a Christmas hit last Christmas. I gave you my heart and he wrote it and said, this is the fourth number one. And then they came up with the idea for Band-Aid, yeah. let, the, let them know it's Christmas. And he was asked to join in, which he did to his credit. But he said the whole time he was there, he was thinking, oh, I don't want to do this because this is going to be number one and I want my number one. Yeah. And he was so unhappy because he didn't get his four number ones. And he was even saying how ridiculous it was. Like, I I should have been happy, but I wasn't. Yeah. If he got four number ones that year, he would have wanted five the next year and six the year after that and seven. Like, that's what I mean about that success. That can never work because you will never. And that was in the Lewis Capaldi. He had this massive album when he was 19 or something out of nowhere, number one everywhere in the world. and he hadn't even planned for that kind of level of success and instantly the record label says right what are you going to do next 
And in his documentary, he said, it took me 19 years to write those songs. And now they want another set of songs in a year. And Mm -hmm. how am I going to do that? Mm -hmm. And his all, everything went downhill from that point because now you've got to produce. Now you're not just making your art and doing your thing. Now everyone's looking at you and people's jobs depend on you. And yeah. I think it's it, it's something to do with this this aim of like we we often set aims and goals for things without knowing the full extent of them and that's probably unavoidable because we don't know the full ins and outs of everything until we've been there and experienced it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we're inevitably doing that from a point of really not knowing. But I remember when I had I had an offer from a gallery um but the terms were fairly restricted. And I remember reaching and this is this. I just did a survey, actually, big survey. The number one thing that came back that people wanted was gallery representation Hmm. for artists. Other things were quite interesting, which maybe we'll talk about another time. That they wanted for themselves. They wanted wanted for themselves. right, Right. But it was really interesting when I had this offer. And I reached out to a couple of artists and one in particular said, don't do it. I'm so miserable with my art. The demands are so high. I have to produce a certain number of paintings. This is the percentage they take. This is what I get. I'm no longer creating what I want to create. Didn't do it. You know, and I, and it was, it was so refreshing to get that feedback from that person. Um, I think I already knew that it wasn't the right thing for me anyway, but it was still helpful to hear that other side of it. We so often yeah. only hear one side of it. Um, yes. So yeah, be careful a little bit what you wish for. But that is a good point. There was one point where they had a string of hit singles and an and a interviewer said to them, so how are you enjoying the money then? They still didn't have enough money for their bus fare like because mm-hmm. the record company was taking it all. And, you know, gallery, the gallery artist relationship is an interesting one. And so often we complain about 50%. But in this case, you know, they only got something like three or 4% yes. of proceeds. You know, it, it's minute for so, for so many other, you know, artists in this genre. And yet we grumble about art. So a little bit of balance there. Maybe. And, and, and something to say about that as well is, when we're moaning about social media and we're moaning about having to make websites and all of that, that has given musicians so much more control and power. So I like an American singer songwriter called Jason Isbell, who's been going for years now. He, um, after he started to have some success, set up his own record label, his own publishing company, and he owns the rights to everything he makes. So every penny that he makes goes to him. You couldn't do that back then. You were at the mercy of record companies. You couldn't set up your own record. How would you even do that? You, you know, so artists then were so at the mercy. And even in the Lewis Capaldi, he's because he was so young, he's getting paid well, I think, very well. But all this, it struck me looking at Sinead so small there on the stage, all this money industry is revolving around your artistry. You're the creator, but they're the ones who are all running the business side of it and you're at their mercy. Mm. And you have musicians whose managers steal all their money. That happened to Sting. Somebody stole millions and millions of pounds from him. So that 
you are we have to remember we are the ones making the stuff and I'm not saying we're on the level of sting but you know we are the ones making the stuff and if you want a gallery that's fine if that's what you want but they depend on you and so we should have a relationship where we're the one in control and when they're the ones in control that's when everything gets miserable I think yeah it's the ability to kind of feel a bit empowered with what you do and what you create isn't it yeah um right two more and then we should wrap up I have no idea where we are on timing because we've had so (laughs) so many starts um this is a quickie though this is the idea of reissuing songs rather than writing them off I think as artists we have a tendency to do work finish it complete it move on to the next one feel like we have old paintings that we've moved on from and we don't talk about again how about Mm. reissuing those works or reworking them go back to the idea of refining editing and reissuing them so don't be so quick to write off stuff just because it's past for you you know there might still be people who for whatever reason it didn't catch the first time when you highlight it and spotlight it again that is um a time you know worthwhile doing and then the last thing was the unslickness of it I just loved it made me want to go back to the time where we took photos in photo booths and on film cameras and they were all a bit rubbish and people made pop videos with spots on their faces and fuzzy hair and there wasn't super styling and the last Christmas video was literally just a day and they all kind of had a meal and got a bit drunk and it was just like fun filming the the sense of freedom around the whole things not being perfect I had massive nostalgia for yeah 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 that. things are more and more and more refined and less and less uh, uh, last night went out for a meal in a pub asked can I have what's left of my fish to take home for my dog please they put it in a little box for me brought a piece of paper with a legal agreement for me to sign that said I accept that if I take this food home it's basically not your responsibility if I you know if it's if I poison myself I guess um I have never had that before but I just I've thought, never had that what have we come to in this world and it's kind of on that same thing of refining 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 the process it's this pub's just been taken over by new management but wow. yeah there's the the in so many ways in our lives now the freedom we had when we were growing up is curtail 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 by more laws and more rules and more things Mm -hmm. that have to be procedures that have to be followed so that Mm -hmm. applies in everything I think but going back to but then so what does that mean for art do we go back to the imperfection being because in visual art often isn't the imperfection the thing that makes a painting rather than a photograph yeah and I think it's just a responsibility maybe that we all have in whatever we do to make sure, you know, embrace that unslickness sometimes. I think we do sometimes perfect. Yes. And there's a, there's a balance between there was something else we were talking about, about service and looking after people and customers and getting those kind of things right. And also, you know, a little bit of relaxation around this idea that things always have to be perfectly polished. Yeah. That was it. 
Okay, I'm just going to do a quick what's inspired because we feel like we, we've gone on too long and we're going to rush off. But I did want to make this point because because I had a visitor yesterday. We spent the day, a very rainy day, going around antique shops and junk places. And they're my favorite thing to do. I love antique shops. But I went to this one local to me that I've been to a million times before. And I've looked at stuff and not been able to afford it or it's not been the right time. I haven't had room for things. And I was looking for studio stuff. I was looking for some big tables. I was looking for, and this place has upstairs from the actual finished furniture section. They have a big floor where everything is that they haven't touched that you can look at. And if you want them to finish it, they will, or you can bring it home like Mm -hmm. it is. And so you get bargains up there. I walked up there. And Tracy was with me and we both made a beeline for the same things over and over again. And I found everything I needed that day and I gave them a big check for everything. I've been going there. My point, the reason I found that inspiring as I left was I've been going there for so long and he sees me every time the guy who runs it and he must think, oh, here she is again, looking around, not buying anything. And then the time was right and I had the place to put the stuff and they had all the right stuff in and he got the sale. And it goes back to what you always say about you never know who's watching you and you never know when the right moment will be for them. And he probably saw me and thought I was just browsing and, you know, a tire kicker maybe and someone who just likes looking at old stuff. But that isn't true. I was just waiting for the right time and... I I felt it again, going back to what you said about old paintings. Often we have something that waits for three years until someone says, oh, that's my painting and they buy it. So don't give up on those things. And don't think just because someone follows you on Instagram and always comments how wonderful your painting is, but never buys anything. Don't think they never will. Yeah. Maybe just not the right time. Lovely. Well, that's us for this week then. Have a great week, everybody, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. I love how this used to be a decent cardigan. How many clothes? <laughs> like that. And I oh, paid no, the brought... Alice, the... Alice, I'm sorry. I told them not to come till 11 and they brought my car. I, I oh, okay. All right, sorry. We'll pause. Oh, I'm sorry. My Facebook account has been suspended again. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Has that just happened? Literally just happened now. <laughs> All I've done this morning is reply to a birthday message from Georgina. You've got no sound now. I don't know, you're not muted. Your light's on. Day is not the day. Microphone's got knocked off. Oh, there we go. Microphone got knocked off. Sorry. Oh, I'm at the end of my bloody rope. Tracy's taken Riley outside because he's. I mean, I've got a response from Facebook, um, but I haven't violated any community standards. Sorry. The documentary ended right where he got that. And I'm losing my train of thought. Honestly, people listening, you have no idea the, the troubles that this podcast is taking place on. My dog's losing his 
mind every five seconds. Do you want to go get him? 